0: This morning is from the end of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: All right, you may have a seat this morning, but keep your uh, finger right there at Ephesians chapter 6 because that's going to be where we are this morning. Um, so I do want for you guys to know that I'm aware of something that's been happening. I've been silent on it, uh, but a lot of people have asked me about it. As an Acts 29 pastor, I've gotten this question a lot over the last six months. Are you listening? Are you listening to the crossway, or not crossway, to the uh, What is it? Uh, The the production of, like, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's coming out of Christianity Today, right? So I've had a lot of people just ask me, like, hey, what's your perspective on it? Like, are you listening? Is it something that you're tuned into? And uh, the truth is, is that, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I I listened to the first half of it. It was uh, was helpful. There were things in it that uh, I saw from a distance, but that I wasn't necessarily, like, you know, laser-focused on. Um, you know, about uh, Pastor Mark and his, uh, you know, career there at Mars Hill. Honestly, it wasn't something that, was, uh, that I was uh, very focused on. I've only read one of his books, uh, and so I wasn't very keen to even start it until people started asking me about it. So I listened to the first half of it. That's, uh, that's, the, that's the truth of it. Uh, but then really, honestly, got disinterested the more that it went on because of its continued focus on, uh, on power, Uh, A lot of uh, kind of pieces in journalism today are very oriented around uh, who has power, how are they using it, Uh, what are they using, should they have it at all, like, you know, just questions about uh, power. Uh, Some are enamored by and try to achieve power and prestige, like I think that Mark Driscoll did in, you know, probably discernibly wicked ways. Uh, Others, I think maybe even journalistically, we might say, try to achieve that prestige and power by trying to tear it down too and maybe going a little overboard. So I listened to the first half of it uh, and uh, ultimately came away having gleaned some things about uh, what that ministry looked like there, the ways and things that I want to avoid here at City Church and by God's grace, I think we largely have. Um, But ultimately, I really um, came away with a lot of thankfulness too Uh, at least with the parts that I heard. I I, I feel greatly indebted, uh, not to Mark at all, but indebted to God. And, uh, the ways that he works, even through really you know, wicked things uh, to uh, cause good and has caused good in my life. Uh, the truth is, is that I love being a part of Acts 29. We don't talk about it a lot, but these are uh, brother and sister churches that are out there trying to be churches who plant churches, who are faithful to uh, what I think are you know theologically accurate and discernibly biblical uh, things that we can learn from the word. Uh, so I actually really enjoy it. Uh, my wife and I are hugely indebted over this last year to uh, just some of the apps that Acts 29 has to support, uh, you know, to support pastors and their wives and, uh, and so I just thought that I'd tell you so uh, but really and honestly that whole thing is about power um, it, it, I am glad that you know, sin has kind of come to light, uh, at the misuses of power, but there are a couple of things that I think, there are mistakes that I think you can make by being so laser focused on power as like a monolithic thing, especially if you're trying to broad brush and just say that power is one kind of thing, that it's always evil or that it's always good. I think it's much more complicated than that. And honestly, I think that this morning we actually get to see right off the bat in verse 11 some nod to this. Let, let's read it. We see Paul, who's been writing the book of Galatians, say, See what, what, with what large letters I am writing you by my own hand. Uh, what, what, what Paul is doing is he's, uh, throughout the course of Galatians, he's reminded them uh, not how he's used his authority and power as an apostle of Jesus Christ, in really wicked and like overbearing ways, but how he's used it uh, out of care and love and genuine concern for the Galatians. We see that he is firm. I mean, he he tells the Galatians there, you foolish Galatians. Maybe there's a temptation to believe that Paul's going down like a Mark Driscoll kind of route, that that he's being too heavy-handed. He's saying, you foolish Galatians. But it's always kind of surrounded by this genuine concern for the Galatians, for the state of their souls and the destination for them in eternity. I think he genuinely cares. He is firm, but he is careful, and he is motivated by love. But there's this juxtaposition right off the bat in verse 12. He talks specifically in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, who would actually force you to have something bodily done to you. So we see this uh, apostolic ministry of Paul's using Firm authority, but doing it very carefully and motivated out of love, juxtaposed with those who want to make a good showing. Now, we if you've been with us, and you may not have been, but there were this group of false teachers that we call the Judaizers who have come into the churches in Galatia, and they are not careful or motivated by love. These verses say that those who want to make a good showing, they're they're concerned about appearances, they want to make sure that they use whatever, uh, whatever amount of authority that they have by way of their teaching to prop up appearances. We're also told that they are using it to avoid persecution there in the next verse. But it says that those who would make a good showing are actually trying to force. And that's something that I think that you can recognize by, uh, uh, by way of bad authority, use of bad authority to actually force people to do things. So you just get this really strong piece right at the very end of this book that Paul is motivated by firm and careful love while the Judaizers are motivated by their appearances and avoidance of persecution for the cause of Christ even to the point where they will force people to do things. They're not interested in the lives or souls of these people. They're interested in making themselves look good, propping up their own ministries. And I do think that there is something in that for us this morning. Because the answer, if you're wondering, is not to eschew all authority and responsibility, not yours or others. There's a lot of people that see the misuse of like uh, the terrible misuse, the wicked misuse of authority. We see hit pieces written all the time about people, uh, particularly men at this point, that are misusing authority to force people to do things that they ought not do, and it's wicked and awful. But the lie that I think cre- creeps into that is the lie to believe that all authority is wicked, that all power does actually corrupt. Here's the truth. In the midst of a very powerful God, that is an antitheist. That that, that is like literally against the nature of God because God has all power and he's actually taken all of that power and authority and he's vested it in his son, Jesus, who is faithful and true and who will rest his feet on all of the nations, but he will do so out of complete and total righteousness. So the attitude to just go like all power is bad, I think is a heresy. So what we need to do is try to understand Where is true power? Where is true authority? How is it used? Galatians ends in some of these ways asking the question, who's got the power? What does it look like? Is authority bad? And what really matters? What I think that we come away from with here is the need to really test the spirits in power. It's not to get rid of authority. It is to submit to appropriate authorities, but for us to test the spirits in them. And then to identify where people are using it wickedly, name that, oppose those people as spiritual abusers, name them as false teachers, and also to understand that that is in a current of worldly, not divine power. That, that's, that's honestly what I think that we should be getting out of the scriptures today, but then also out of what's going on in our culture. We don't throw away good things because they're misused by some wicked people. Rather, what we try to do is test those spirits, identify them, but always on the road to submitting to the loving authority of God, of Jesus Christ, of the Spirit in our lives so, so what are we going to get out of the passage this morning? That's just kind of by way of like an introduction. It's something that honestly I feel like matched up a little bit with some of the things that I've been learning or been asked about. So I just wanted to kind of start in the place of power and authority. But here's the thing that I think we learn this morning out of this passage as Paul kind of tries to tie up a lot of loose ends in the book of Galatians. What I think that we learn is, is that Christians are to crucify the powers of the world, so that we may boast as new creations. Okay, that's, what we're, that's where we're going this morning. If you want to write it down, Christians crucify the powers of the world, that we might boast as new creations. That's, that's where we're going this morning. And I think that we've got to kind of take a road through three different pit stops. The first thing that we've got to understand is the relationship between pride and hypocrisy. We, you may not necessarily put those things together, but I think that the scripture today does. We've got to understand how pride and hypocrisy actually go together. The second thing that I think we've got to understand is the greatest humble brag. Have you heard of this? It's kind of, I'd never heard of it like more than like 24 months ago, but everybody's talking about humble brags. It's that thing where you're like trying to put on airs as a humble person, but what you're really doing is telling everybody how great you are. It's like, you know, I really need to slow down. I'm working too hard because I'm better than you. Like that's the humble brag, right? Like that's, that's what people, but there is actually a great humble brag buried right here in front of us that we need to dig up and to understand. And the final thing is, is that we have to understand that only new creation counts, only new creation counts. So by way of some context, for the last several months, we've been marching through the book of Galatians, and Paul is going to be summarily tying a few themes together, and then he's going to be applying some things to you by applying them to himself. We actually get to see Paul make some application to his own self in this space. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to see what it is that Paul has to say about what he is learning in the midst of all of these things. So what we're going to see him do there is then bless the people who are in Jesus Christ. And so he's going to do that by starting off by juxtaposing the Judaizers to Jesus. He's going to be testifying to the power of the cross in his life. And then he's going to be blessing those who walk in the midst of the rule of that power. Verse 17 says this. This is where we're going to start this morning. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear the marks of Jesus what is he talking about there? Well, first of all, he's telling you that he's been troubled. He's, he's actually probably been restless. He's lost sleep over the, uh, the state of the souls of the Galatians because these wicked teachers had come in and tried to actually pull them away from the one true gospel that people are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and no other thing that you can't actually work out your salvation by works of the flesh. And so he's been troubled. He's been troubled, so he goes straight at these teachers once more, and he's going to talk to us about pride and hypocrisy. Pridefulness and hypocrisy go hand in hand because why? Because nobody in this world lives up to their own hype, okay? So if you're a prideful person like me this morning, you got some things to learn, okay? Nobody lives up to their own hype. Verse 13, Those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire rather to have you, to force you to do things in the flesh that they might boast in your flesh. So these wicked teachers are going about trying to teach wicked things that they might actually boast in what they were getting the Galatians to do while, all while, not obeying those same exact commandments. What is that all about? What it tries to tell us is that those who desire to make a good showing through force and false teaching do not keep the law. Those who are trying to go about the process of making a good showing, pride, force and manipulate and coerce others out of pride, but they're not keeping the law, and that is hypocrisy. Beware of the prideful. That's what Paul is telling you. Beware of those who are prideful. Those who have complete confidence in themselves are filled with folly. Prideful people are dangerous. Why? Because they're placing their own uh, confidence in themselves. They think that they are the ones that are going to earn, to achieve, to perfect, who are going to guide others into uh, some sort of new utopia that they built up themselves, some new kingdom with a king that is not Jesus but is them. That's what a prideful person does. I can say this with a lot of authority because if you've been in one of my discipleship groups or one of my fight clubs in the past, you will hear me say over and over again that the primary thing that is in my heart that wants to drag me kicking and screaming from the grace of God is pride. Of self, just believing that I have something in me that is better than the promises that Jesus has made to me. And somehow, to this point, actually wants to uh, forget and eschew ideas of my own, not just imperfection, but my great wickedness and inability to achieve the very things that I say I value. For those of you who struggle with pride, you know and understand this first point that hypocrisy is. Uh, I, I mean, just integrally connected with your pride. so so I, I fancy myself a pretty hard worker. A smart guy, didn't make it through school with many A's, wasn't a good athlete, didn't really, but I, I could work pretty hard. And so I, I'll tell you, I work pretty hard. Anybody who's listening, I'm like, man, I work pretty hard. Earlier this week, I go to my son's school. Uh, we're doing this daddy breakfast thing in my uh, kindergartner's class. So we come in and we have little like, you know, Chick-fil-A things and I'm, I'm making a good showing. I'm talking with these other dads and everything and all of the kids go and take their place on the ground. And the teacher goes, hey kids, what did your favorite thing to do with your dad? Like, what's the best part of just being with your dad? And I'm thinking, I'm pretty great. Like, whatever Henry's about to say is going to be pretty good. So he went second to last. And he said, I love playing my Nintendo while my dad sleeps on the couch. And I'm like, (laughs) there it is. There it is. So, so here's the truth. That is a pretty accurate description of most Sunday afternoons, okay? So that is not like hardworking Chris on display for these other guys that I actually want some like prestige and for people to think that I'm pretty great. Why? Because I'm lazy. I'm lazy too. Like that, that pride that is in me that says hard work. You know, you uh, have not, like, you know, you, you, you don't eat, you don't work, you don't eat. Like, that's a passage in the Bible that I can, like, point to, like, need to get to work. Bootstrap it. Let's do this. Pride. I mean, just immediately connected with total and complete hypocrisy. Why? Because nobody lives up to their own stuff. It doesn't matter how great you think that you are. You cannot live up to your own standard. So beware of the prideful. Uh, don't, don't, don't be around the people that are filled with folly, that have complete confidence in self. Prideful people are dangerous. Pride in self must deny sin in self. Do you get that? If you have pride in yourself, at some point you have to deny that there is sin in yourself. It's like the antithesis of humility. Humility is to say, not I'm low and I'm dirt and I'm terrible. It's not, it's not that. Humility is just to recognize who you truly are, know that you're in great need of salvation, and just simply to be realistic about it. Pride has to, by its very nature, say, that sin, it's not that bad. I see that person over there. Yeah, I'm not that bad. Pretty good. You have to deny your sin to believe that you are something when you are nothing. That's the truth. Pride makes a good showing. It puts on appearances. It judges others. It forces others, this passage says, and it boasts in self. So the problem is is that the prideful not only do not keep the law, they often don't even measure up to their own added laws. So that's how we understand the connection between pride and hypocrisy. But the second thing is actually good news. The good news is that Christians get the greatest humble brag of all time. It is the greatest humble brag in this universe. Let us read it together. Paul says that he is nothing like the Judaizers who boast in forcing others. What he says is that he's got a far different boast, verse 14. Far be it from me. Get away from me. Far be it from me to boast. I can't boast. I have nothing in myself to boast from. So what, I do, what do I do? Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Far be it from me. Christians boast cannot be in sinful self. Christians boast cannot be in sinful self. It has to be something outside of us. We may only boast in the cross Of Jesus Christ, the cross that made an end to our sin. This is a humble brag because we're not boasting in the cross. We're not boasting in a cross that says that we are not sinners, but we're boasting in a cross that says we certainly are, right? There's nothing in the cross that said, you're pretty good. Jesus is going to just clean up around the edges of your life The the son of man only needed to go to the cross to pay for the little bit of wrong that you did. No, the cross of Christ says you're terrible. It says that you're wicked, that you're rotten to the core. If you don't like that, you can't take a look at the cross of Christ and say, look how great I am. It's like standing in front of the Pacific Ocean and going, I am something, I am something. Everybody knows on the surface it cannot be true. When you stand in front of the cross of Christ, You cannot boast in self. You have to say, there lies my sin. My sin begets, earns the death of God himself. That's what the cross says. So, So how in the world could it possibly be a boast? Making your boast in the cross of Jesus is the most humble thing you can do because it takes a look at the enormity of the payment for your sin. It's a humble brag because we're boasting not in a cross that tells us that we're good and fine. The gospel is that your sin was so bad and so ugly and so wicked and so rotful and so hateful, so opposed to life that it had to kill Jesus. So that sounds like nothing to boast about, yet Paul here is saying that he is boasting in nothing except for the cross, the crucifixion, and death. Paul is telling us that our boast can be in nothing else other than the cross and crucifixion and death. Now, we've already learned a piece of this, right, in the book of Galatians. In some ways, like Paul has been hammering this home, not not to the point of nausea, but to the point that our hearts might break and understand it afresh and anew for the first time. That we might understand that when Galatians in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul declares, I have been crucified with Christ. That again, I died with Christ. My sinful nature died with him there on that tree. That's what Paul is saying. Therefore, Christians don't boast in self, but rather boast in death, in the death of self, in the death of our sin at the cross of Jesus. And it doesn't just say that if you go, yeah, I've heard that before. There's another thing that I don't think you've heard before. Paul goes on to actually tell you the next thing that his boast is in. If you you look at this sentence, if you look at it long and hard, if you take a look at what he is trying to say there, it is not just that his boast is in the cross of Christ, it's that the cross had an effect. Verse 14, it says, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Have you you heard such a thing? Have you heard anybody say, I was crucified to the world? It's a strange thing to say. Have you ever heard anybody say, the world was crucified to me? What What is it that Paul is on about here? How can we understand what Paul is making his boast in? This is a little bit mysterious. Here's precisely what I think that he means. I think that the cross has crucified, it has mortified, it has killed the systems and powers and hold of the world on Paul. So when we were talking earlier about those uh, false teachers or about Mark Driscoll or about uh, wicked men in this wicked world doing wicked things, the systems and powers and structures that are here in this world seeking to captivate you, seeking to put you in chains, seeking to hold on to you, to keep you here, to kill you here. What Paul is saying is, that world is dead to me. The world doesn't have any power on me. Paul is saying that Jesus went to the cross to pay for his sins, and now the world has no claim on him. It's been crucified. That's a boast. I mean, that is a great boast. And he doesn't just say that the world is dead to me. He says, I'm dead to the world. I don't, I don't have any uh, plan to grip on, to grasp on, to uh, clamor for, to climb back into the world. It's dead to me. I'm I, like that part of me that just longs and yearns to hold on to things that want to kill me is gone. It's dead. The world has been crucified to me and I have been crucified to the world. What a beautiful, boldly boasting Paul we have. He's boldly boasting in his justification at the cross and also his freedom from the world. Who in this room wants to be free from the world? Thank you, Tony. Me too. Who wants to be free from the shackles that the world tries to put on you? Who wants to be free from the effects of sin that want to bind you, to keep you down, to keep you in darkness? What Paul is saying is, I'll boast. I'll boast in the cross of Christ because it has killed me, it slayed me. And it also slayed that world that wants nothing good for me. And it slayed that part of me that wanted the world. Paul is making a boast. May we all be so humble to brag alongside Paul in the humility of the depravity of self, but also in the riches of the grace of Jesus Christ. Let us boast. Let us boast. Let us boast, finally, the third point this morning. That only new creation counts. How can it be that Paul uh, is is comfortable in declaring that the world was dead to him? How can it be that Paul can have the confidence to do something like that? How can he just send this letter out where there are certainly people that are going to be slinging arrows back at him, fiery arrows that are going to be uh, troubling him, that are going to be slandering him? How can he have that kind of confidence? Verse 15, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Chapter 5, verse 6 says something very similar. Paul actually recites the same thing in uh, his letter to the Corinthians. It says this, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts, but only faith working through love. That faith working through love actually regenerates, it reinvigorates, it repairs his heart, and now he is a new creation. Nothing counts, only being a new creation. It does not matter if you're circumcised or if you're uncircumcised. In fact, we see in the letter to Corinthians that it doesn't matter whether or not you were born slave or free. It goes like all the way out through everything that could possibly be a part of this world, and it says none of it matters. In fact, Paul even says in that letter to remain as you are. If you were circumcised, remain circumcised. If you were uncircumcised, don't get circumcised. It doesn't count for anything. Only love that issues from faith. Only being a new creation in Christ. That's the only thing that matters. What matters is that you are reconciled to God and that you're made into something altogether new. You are recreated. Do you want to hear Paul echo this and flesh this out just a little bit more? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we hear this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's new. He's reborn. He's regenerate. He's not the old thing. Why? Because the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He has made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become what, beloved? Righteous. That you might become the righteousness of God. So here's my question to you this morning. I want you to think about it. I don't want you just to uh, uh, skate over it this morning. Are you new? are you new? Are you something wholly different? Are you a new creation? Let this morning uh, not be terrified by a conscience that bears witness against you. This is the state of eternity that is at stake, okay? So if you're sitting here this morning and you're going, I'm not new, I don't feel new, and it's not just like an accusation. It's not just Satan seeking to attack and like pinpoint your weakness. If you're just going, I don't even know what it means to be like I, uh, 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 a new version of myself. That's not even what we're talking about. We're talking about something totally new. If, if your conscience is saying, I don't think so. I mean, I've got great news. You can be new through Jesus Christ, simply by placing your faith in him, simply by believing that he was the son of God, that he really did come to earth, that he really did die for sin, that he really did bodily raise from the grave because death could not hold him, that he ascended to heaven, that he will one day come back to make all things new, just like these verses are saying, just simply by believing that. No, no no, additional work. You don't got to go get circumcised. You don't got to go be a better person. You don't got to go earn your righteousness. All you have to do is believe that simple message of the gospel this morning, and you can be a new creation. Are you new? Has Christ reconciled you? Are the, the, the works of the flesh, the worldly powers, are those dead to you, or are you in Christ Jesus, if you are, then you can boast in the cross. You can also boast that the world no longer has a hold on you and that you are no longer seeking to grip out for the world. To to continue on, uh, chapter 2, verse 20 that we read earlier, it actually clarifies a little bit and invigorates us with this truth. I have been crucified with Christ. Do you remember Paul saying that? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who loved me, Who loves you and gave himself for you. Here's the application this morning. It's very simple, it's very short, it's very sweet. We're going long now, okay? Boldly boast. That's your application this morning. It's boldly boast. Who in this room spends a great deal of their time boasting in self? I imagine that there's got to be a lot of us, right? How many of us boldly boast, but not in, our, not in ourselves, not in the world, but boast in the Son of God who loves you? I saw a bumper sticker this uh, week. It's not like It's not one you're not going to be familiar with. You've seen a version of it a thousand times. It just said, it said, smile. Jesus loves you. And I got to be honest with you, I drove by it, uh, not in the greatest mood. This week was not my finest week, okay? a little grumpy. Saw that? Bumper sticker, and I was a little incredulous. I was a little uh, unbelieving of that very simple truth. I was a little like offended by its candy, plasticky smile. Jesus loves you. Okay. Didn't love that reaction. What was that person doing? Even on a bumper sticker. Okay. Not going to defend it. He was saying, Smile. Jesus loves you. All right. That's a boast. It's a brag. It's a brag in this wonderful son of man who came and displayed his love for us by giving himself away. Well, so, so why is it that we don't smile? Why is it that, like, uh, Christians aren't constantly boasting in the cross? I, I've got really two quick things. I think that the first reason why we don't is because we see our sin as small. And if we see our sin as small, then we don't have a big savior. He didn't really save us from all that much. He just saved us from that last little piece that was keeping us from being all that we could be. And man, I just want to tell you that's a lie. One of the reasons why you don't boast is because you see your sin is small, so you've got an itty bitty, teeny weeny Savior. Put him in your pocket. That's not Jesus, that's not your sin. The second reason why I think is because the power of the world is not small, it's big in our lives. The systems, the values of this world are not quite dead to us. We haven't killed them. We haven't mortified, we haven't let Jesus do that work in our heart of hearts of just going, the, the world is gone, it's dead, I'm like Paul. We just haven't quite, it might be the reality for us, we might be justified, but we just continue to let the world have its hooks in us. Still got purchase there in our lives. So the first reason is we see our sin is small, so we got a small savior the other reason why is because the world is big and it obscures our view of this wonderful Jesus that we've got. And what I want to enunciate, if you'll, if you'll, this is the last sentence, literally, like last few sentences here. What I want to draw a connection to here is that this is literally the same prideful hypocrisy of the Judaizers. They had a small Savior. They didn't come in and say Jesus is not the Son of Man. That's not what they came in saying. They said He is, but you still got to do some stuff to be a real follower, to be a real Israel. You got to still do a few things around here. They they had a small Savior that needed our help, and so worldliness was alive in their teaching. Christ's cross crushes this kind of worldly arrogance. It has to in you. You have to let the cross of Christ crush that kind of pride and arrogance. Your sin is not small. Your Savior is very big, and the world is dead to you. Crucify the world's power to boast as a new creation the cross of Jesus Christ led you to a place where you are completely totally 100% justified in front of God the Father your sin no longer has a hold on you and for you to pretend for you to put on airs to you for you to try to be one of these prideful arrogant teachers and just say you know what I think that there's still some work to be done. I think that there's still some goodness in that world out there that I can just hold on to. It can be prosperity. It can be, uh, you know, uh, fashion. It can be uh, relationships with unbelievers that are terrible for you. It can be uh, the desire for vengeance. It can be anything that is of the world that wants to keep you there in the world. The cross has to then go into your life and crush that kind of prideful arrogance to the ground, has to cover it over by the blood of Jesus. It has to be dead. So, so you don't have work to do this morning. You don't have work to earn your salvation. But what Paul might be telling you is, is that you've got some crucifying to do, some mortification to do, some putting death to the world and its desires, some cutting of tethers that you still have to do. Let's pray that God would honor that desire this morning. God and Father, we thank you for the book of Galatians. We thank you for your testimony in the Apostle Paul through the power of the Spirit. Lord, to create the word that uh, gets handed down to us today, that we might hear your desires, not only for the Galatians, but also for us. Lord, we praise you. That you have allowed for us to know what it looks like for there to be a combination of pride and arrogancy and hypocrisy that wants to keep us in the world. We thank you even all the more, not just that you illuminated that through your word, but Lord, that you allow for our boast to be in the cross of Jesus Christ and for us to boast that he made an end to the world and its power. Lord, our boast is in Jesus Christ who's coming back to restore and remake all things, a new heaven and a new earth, Lord, without its systems of power and oppression. Lord, our only boast is in Jesus Christ. Lord, make us new creations this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us as a body mortify and put to death sin as it is in us. Lord, help us to crucify the world and to be crucified to the world, that we might live as the righteousness of Christ. Lord, I pray for the power of your spirit to do that and accomplish that in your people here at City Church. Lord, we give you great honor and praise this morning as the God who has already finished all of this for us in Jesus Christ. So we pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.